This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. This is Taylor Stevens, New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And today we're going to be talking about dialogue and making your characters sound different, and we're also going to be talking about the birth of a new goat, I believe. That'll be our <laughs> chit-chat. But before we get to some of the writing stuff and some of the farm stories that we tell, Taylor has uh, just a little public service announcement that she wants to make. Well, I don't even know if it's a public service announcement. It's just deep thoughts from Taylor. <laughs> um, it's a very weird time for me right now because the world is on fire. It's just insanity. And it feels so wrong to just la di da da our way through this show and pretend like everything is normal when it's not. It's obviously not. But at the same time, this show is not about venting my thoughts on geopolitical scenarios or anything like that. It's not a time for, it's not a place for talking about all these big things that are going on in the world. We talk about writing here. And I, everything that's happening right now weighs on me so heavily. It weighs on me in ways that I don't want to get into now even because it's not the topic of this show. But it feels personal. And I just it just feels wrong to just go on without saying anything. And yet at the same time, this is not the place or the time to say anything. So I just, I'm just putting that out there that yes, we are aware that the world is on fire and I have no idea what's going to happen in the future. And we're not, or I'm not, I'm not going to speak for Steve because I'm not his spokesperson, but (laughs) for me personally, um, I'm not putting my head in the sand in it as the show progresses and we just don't talk about any of that stuff. It's not that we don't know. It's not that it doesn't exist. It's just that that's not what this show is. And we can't also just shut everything down and, and not go. Life goes on in one way or the other life goes on and we have to keep going on. And so we're going to continue producing this show as we always have. And just because we're not talking about these things doesn't mean we don't think that they're not exist or they're not impactful. We just do what we do. And so we, that's what's happening. And we do share our thoughts together <laughs> without <Yes>. the recorder <laughs> on <laughs> before we yes. record sometimes when, when all of this craziness is going on. And, uh, but that's not the, as Taylor said, it's not the purpose of this show. And, you know, so we, we move forward, but thank you, Taylor, for sharing those thoughts. Now we're going to transition ever so clumsily into a goat story. Yes, we're just going to keep on. So anyway, <laughs> the last time we talked about the goats, it was a hostage situation where this goat was just pregnant and pregnant and pregnant and pregnant, and she wasn't having her babies. And it was like, okay, Maybe hold off a little bit because it's an ice storm. Hey, it's not freezing anymore. Could you please have your babies? Oh, wait, hold up. It's going to freeze again tomorrow. (laughs) Just wait a second. And 
finally she decided she was going to give up the hostages. And so the the prior babies that that have been born with these goats, I've always just missed it. And that day I was like, I was certain she was going to, I was like, she's close. She's so close. I can see she's starting to show signs like she's pawing at the ground and things like that. But it didn't seem like she was that close. And I didn't want to waste a day sitting out in the shed, just watching and waiting when I need to work. I need to get these words on the page. I had mentioned that to somebody and they were like, you know, you can write every day, but you only get to see and be there for goats being born once, maybe twice a year. I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> so I, I was like, well, how, how can I do this and, and salve my own conscious about not wasting the day? So I packed up my laptop and some notes and things and put them in a little bag and hauled them all out, out there. And I get there and there's a baby goat that had literally just plopped out on the ground. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> So like I drop everything and I go running in there and I make sure that his nose is uncovered, like he can breathe and everything, which, you know, you just want to make sure there's, he's not trapped in the, the little bag. And so I'm like checking him out. And the first thing I do is lift up his tail. It's a boy or a girl. I agree. He's a, it's a boy. Oh, he's so cute. And so then I'm, you know, making sure like, can he get on his feet and just, you know, being there, reassuring the goat. And I know there's another baby coming. She was so huge. There's no way that this was just a one baby scenario. And it just so happens that on this very day, I had family coming into town. <laughs> it was just going to be a real quick, hey, we're just stopping by type thing. But, it, you know, I had to give directions. It's not like, oh, here's an address put into GPS. Like, it's, it's bizarre. GPS is not going to help you here. So I get this call. As they're pulling off the freeway, okay, we're pulling off the freeway. What do we do now? And the goat starts, the bubble starts forming of the next baby that's about to drop. And I'm like, uh, I will call you back. Find some place to park. And so literally there's like a baby goat being born and family coming, calling all the same time. My computer's on the ground in the bag. And it's just like, well, I am glad that that person told me to go see the baby goat because I arrived just in time for it. So I helped deliver the second. I mean, I didn't need to help, but there was no, the goat would have been fine without me there. But the second one was a little girl and she was like maybe three quarters the size of her brother, much, much smaller than her brother. And her back legs didn't work. And I was just like, what? The other two girls that were born here were just so fragile. The first one, um, well, it was Ferrari, and she was trapped and stuck and probably would have died if I hadn't been able to pull her out. But the second one, I don't know, she was just fragile. And this little one comes out just full of life and energy, but no back legs that are working. And I'd never seen that happen. And I figure maybe she just got stuck in a bad position when she was in the birth canal. And so for, for a couple of days there, I was just really worried because she she would like try and walk and her back legs would just collapse out behind her and they would splay out and she couldn't get them back underneath her. And my concern was if she was going to be able to eat or not. Like if she couldn't nurse and get latched on, 
then she was going to die because they have to nurse in those first 24 hours and get enough colostrum in for their digestive and immune systems and everything else to kick in. Without that, they will die. But, you know, she was just so full of fight and, and spirit that she'd literally drag her, drag herself to her mom with her back legs pulling behind her and stick her little head up there and get a good suckle going. So it's like, okay, as long as she can get her legs under her, eventually she'll be fine, you know. So I kept going out there every once in a while, just, all right, get those legs tucked up in there. Let's see if we can get you to stand. And it took about two or three days, but she's just jumping and playing. And I will tell you, the only thing cuter than one baby goat is two <laughs> baby goats. They are so it's just like an exponential level of adorableness because they play with each other and and one will get jumping and bouncing and the other one will immediately start jumping and bouncing and they just chase each other and jump up on things and do parkour off the sides of the, <laughs> of the shed. <laughs> it's it's awesome. It's hilarious. And they grow up very fast. So they're very lively and I love them and adore them. And yeah, that's my goat story. All right. I have one quick follow-up question on the goat story. How long okay. did your visitor, family member visitor have to drive around in circles before you called them back? <laughs> I called them back as soon as I knew that goat was breathing. Okay. <laughs> and then I was like, here's what you do. And call me again if you run into trouble, because I got to go. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So dialogue. We're talking about dialogue and making your characters sound different using dialogue. So what do you have for us today, Taylor? Okay. So this is a, a listener question, and it comes from JJ. Thank you, JJ, so much for this fantastic question. And I'm going to read it, and then we will go into the answer. So it says... Hi there. Thank you so much for putting out such a fantastic podcast. I learned so much from listening to you and really appreciate the time and effort it takes to share your knowledge with us. To which I say, you are so welcome and thank you. And just a general note to everybody who might be listening and who also might be appreciating these podcasts is right now, because it's been so long since I've put out a new book, pretty much all of my income, everything comes from the generosity of those who are supporting this show and supporting my work through Patreon. So if you would like to keep food on the table and goat food in the tummies of the goats, (laughs) (laughs) if even a $3 a month contribution is within your budget, it would mean the world to me. Okay. So that's at patreon.com slash Taylor Stevens is where you will find me. So here's the question. I have a question about characters that I thought I would put out there. How do you make nearly identical characters sound different? I write LGBT romance. For my current work in progress, the main characters are two women of the same age, from the same socioeconomic background, and they went to the same schools, grew up with similar family dynamics, have overlapping friend groups, and they work in the same industry. All these similarities are intentional, and the crux of their conflict, but it's making it difficult to give them sufficiently different character voices. Usually, I write characters that are different from each other, even if they're the same gender. So it's easy to make them sound different, meaning I can read a piece of dialogue and know that my 40-year-old lawyer who grew up having to work hard said it, and it's not my 25-year-old law student from a privileged background talking. I have given them different personalities, of course. For example, one is more tightly wound than the other, and they have different views and philosophies, but I'm finding it so hard to make their dialogue sound different from one another. 
Any thoughts? Thanks so much. Boy, do I have thoughts. <laughs> this was an amazing question. To summarize this question, right, the heart of it is how do you make nearly identical characters sound different? And my very short answer is, honestly, you can't. <laughs> and I and hear, that's it for this I, week's I, show. <laughs> no, I, I can hear heads exploding on that one. Because if there is one single thing that creative writing instruction just hammers on over and over and over again in regards to character dialogue, it's that each character should have their own unique voice, their own way of speaking. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying it's not always possible. And so now that I've thoroughly ruffled everybody's feathers, just hear me out on this, okay? So the goal when writing dialogue, as JJ brings up, is to be able to differentiate one character from the next. And ideally, you can do that just on dialogue alone. But why is that? Like, where does this emphasis on unique dialogue come from? And if you peel back the layers to see what's going on behind it, it's not really about the dialogue itself. It's about character. So in good storytelling, be it narrative, nonfiction, or fiction, whatever, everything always comes back to character. And why? Well, you know, if you've been listening for a while, you already know the answer. And that's because characters are why we care what happens in the first place. But for an audience to be able to fully step through that story portal, to be willing to temporarily exchange their real life for this one that exists inside the mind, those characters have to feel real, authentic, alive. And that magic just isn't possible, certainly not to the same level, when those characters are stiff or wooden or forced or contrived. So for those of us who've chosen the written word as our storytelling mechanism, there are really only five tools that we have for creating that sense of character reality. And of those, only three are drawn from the character's own expression. And those are what the character does, what the character character thinks or feels, and what the character says. So those three are essentially individual strands in an interwoven braid. Like, all three of those strands, they have to support the others. If one fails, they all fail. And if it helps, you could maybe try and imagine that braid is sort of a life support tether. Okay, If one of those strands frays or breaks, your character no longer has full life support and begins to weaken. And if your character gets unplugged from the tether, it dies. What the character does, what the character thinks or feels, and what the character says. And outside that braid, we have the fourth one, which is what other characters think, feel, or say about the character. And we have events that, the fifth is events that exist off the page in the character's past. For example, backstory, right? So continuing with our life support metaphor, those last two, the, what other characters think or feel or say about that character and the backstory, those are more like supplements and performance boosting drugs. They can enhance the tether, what the tether provides, but they can't replace it. So anyway, that's it. Those, those five tools, that's all, that's all we get to bring the character to life in a way that feels real and authentic and alive. And ultimately, dialogue exists as a function of character. It's part of that tether. And because it's an entire third of that life support tether, getting it right is really important. So, okay, fine. That's all well and good. But where does this notion come from that each character's dialogue has to sound unique to that character, different from all the other characters? And this is also a function of character, because in real life, people are unique. We all carry our own opinions, our own life experiences, our own ways of existing, mannerisms, ways of speaking. 
and even identical twins, which is the closest we can get outside of science fiction to having sort of same, same DNA, they have difference. So this storytelling focus on distinguishing individual character voices, that comes from the assumption that the characters inhabiting your stories are also going to have their own unique experiences and that that uniqueness is going to be reflected in their dialogue. But that's not actually how it works in real life all the time. And I'll just get to that part in just a bit. But in the meantime, just because that's not how it works doesn't mean that's not a worthy goal. So what drives this type of black and white focus on unique dialogue is, well, it's a different intersection between real life and storytelling because it takes time and experience, and lots of trial and error to learn how to breathe richly drawn characters into life. And it takes time and experience and lots of trial and error to learn how to get out of the way, to let the characters do their own talking and do their own living. So until then, until you have figured out how to do that, the automatic default, and this is not a moral feeling, it's just simply how it is due to lack of experience, is that the author imposes their own voice, imposes the plot, imposes the conflict, imposes just about everything onto the character. And as a result, instead of authentic characters that feel like real people, you end up with this sort of herky-jerky puppet on marionette strings doing things because the puppeteer is making them do it and saying things because the puppeteer is making them say it. And all these character puppets end up sounding exactly the same because they are the same. It's, I would imagine that it is really rare to find a story in which every other aspect, so the things the character does, the, thing the things the character thinks and feels, feel real and authentic, and only the dialogue is just sounding same-same. And the reason I think that, like, I haven't done a study out there, and I obviously haven't read enough, but the reason that I think that it would be really rare to find a scenario in which it's just the dialogue that sounds like the same person talking all the time and everything else is working is because they're all part of the same expressions, the same focus on character. They're, they're all part of that same life support tether. So this, this focus on unique dialogue, it's not about the dialogue, it's about the character. But character as a whole, that's a concept that's built out of these intertwined, interlinked threads. And that type of whole concept, that's not something you can just teach. It's something that has to be absorbed through understanding. And that understanding comes from doing. And everyone has to start somewhere. And it's just a lot easier to teach concepts to someone who doesn't have the understanding by focusing on the practical nuts and bolts of things. And when you, you take this idea, you force this idea that every character must sound unique, as a byproduct, it forces those who are creating the characters to take the right steps that lead towards this understanding of character as a whole. So that's why I think it would be really rare to find a story where all the other pieces work, but just the dialogue is bad because it's all part of this whole concept of understanding how to bring characters to life and make them feel real. And the flip side is, of that is that if you understand how to do all those other things that make a character feel real, 
then the dialogue is probably not as stilted or same same as you think that, think it is because you already understand character. So with all of that as sort of a background, then comes the question, well, why then am I daring to suggest this possibility that sometimes it's just not possible to make all your characters sound distinct and unique? And for that, we got to return to real life again. Language, basically, is a byproduct of culture. Or, well, there's enough evidence out there that suggests it might actually be the other way around, that culture is a byproduct of language. But either way, who a person is, where they've come from, where they are now, their line of work, their friends, their homes, their heroes, their education, political leanings, religion, hobbies, social circles, they're all going to influence the way a person speaks. And not only how they speak, but how they think. And the way they think is going to influence the way they speak. It goes around in sort of a yin-yang, chicken and egg thing. And it's not just accents, which don't exist in books to the extent that they do in real life or in movies. But we're talking about word choices, syntax, slang, silences, what a person is willing to say, what they hold back. Some cultures just simply do not allow you to speak your mind. Others require you to speak in subtleties and read between the lines. Here in the United States, we're a lot more direct than in many other places. So all of these elements absolutely need to be reflected in your characters. And within reason, you know, you don't want to take it to the point of caricature. It, it would be the same as if your characters existed in real life. And that's part of what goes into making these characters feel real and alive. But when you have characters that come from different walks of life, different life experiences, hold opposing views, it's not that difficult to distinguish one character from the next based off dialogue alone. And at the very least, it's just something to be mindful of and strive to attain. But when you have a story scenario like the one that JJ mentions here in this original question, where multiple characters share very similar lifestyles, experiences, histories, and stuff, you are going to make yourself crazy trying to set them apart by dialogue alone, because that's not how it works in real life either. Like, if you've ever listened to people from the same family speak, the differences are so subtle. It has to do with intonation uh, and its body language and all these other different things. It's not, you, it, words on a page simply do not carry the same amount of silent messaging that communication carries in real life. Most communication that we interpret in our daily interactions is unspoken. And so it's so difficult to actually convey that on the page. So trying to accomplish that through dialogue alone, when you've got characters that are nearly identical, is that's, that's just a recipe for crazy making. At the same time, we do want to keep characters from feeling same-same because too many characters feeling too much alike, that can work against that sense of authentic and real and alive that you've worked so hard to build. And in those instances, in spite of your very best efforts, those same-same characters can start to feel Borg-like or assimilated and they're just like they're there to serve the author's intent instead of living and breathing on their own. So what do you do in those cases? What do you do if, due to the similarities within those characters' linguistic cultures, it's just not possible to differentiate them by dialogue alone, what do you do from keeping them feeling all same-same? 
And JJ already has that answer. They nailed it down. And from the original question, it says, I have given them different personalities, of course. For example, one is more tightly wound than the other, and they have different views and philosophies. And that's exactly what I would do as well. As it so happens, I write stories in which this is an issue. So even though the main characters in these stories are completely different in terms of background and lifestyle, those parts of their lives, those different parts of their lives, they're not really part of the story. And there's not a lot of wiggle room or word space available because these are thrillers, which are not meant to be character driven. They're meant to be quote unquote plot driven. There's just not a lot of space to veer off in those directions to highlight those differences. So for all those physical and lifestyle differences that exist, they have similar ways of thinking, similar ways of processing information. And most of the dialogue that exists in these books, it involves strategy, puzzle solving, planning, and whatnot. And so in spite of the obvious differences between the characters, if you read the conversations between Monroe and Bradford and Logan, if you read the conversations between Bradford and some of his own team members, like in, say, The Doll, where there's a lot of interaction that doesn't involve Monroe, most of what sets one character apart from the other is what they are saying, the context of the conversation, not so much the syntax or the, the, the other aspects of language. Almost none of that comes into play. Like you could switch the characters around and give each one the other's dialogue. And if you didn't know any other part of the story, it might be very difficult to tell who was speaking. But in the context of the story itself, it all makes sense. Not because of all the other parts of having a unique way of speaking, but simply because of the argument that they're taking at the time or the circumstances that are surrounding the dialogue. And honestly, I suppose if I were to like submit sections of these stories as sort of like assignment material for maybe a creative writing course or something, I'd get a big fat F because it doesn't tick those boxes neatly in terms of the lessons that are being taught. Like all these characters have to be distinct and unique in their voices. But in real life, when you're reading that dialogue as part of the, the story as a whole, it doesn't feel same, same at all. And it's really clear who's doing the speaking and no one would ever confuse Monroe for Bradford or Bradford to Monroe due to similarities in the way that they speak. It's, and that's because the words that they're saying on the page are real and authentic to their character. And though the dialogue supports and it's supported by the other two threads in that life support tether. Which is to say, I don't, always I'm not always able to make my characters sound incredibly unique or different from each other either it is the content and the context and everything else that goes into the creating characters as a whole that ties it all together and distinguishes one from the next not the dialogue alone so this did get very specific for me when I was writing the liars book books I had to be so incredibly deliberate about word choices and the exact words in the dialogue spoken by the characters, because in those books, I was dealing with characters who were literal family with a shared lifestyle that created its own unique culture in such a way that Claire, 
Jack and Jill would have, even should have, sounded identical in real life. And then, on top of that, the additional characters who weren't part of that nuclear family were also in the same line of work, with similar ways of thinking, which made the issue of dialogue even trickier. And then, on top of that, I had to go like way out of my way to do everything possible to make sure that none of them sounded like a copy-paste same person in a new body of Monroe or Bradford or any of the characters in the Monroe series. So when I was going about it, I made the most effort to differentiate Jack and Jill from each other because the similarities between those two would have been the most obvious. And the way I did it for them, and I'm not saying that this would work anywhere else, it's just what I did because it was authentic to their characters, but also their characters somewhat developed the way that they did because of this, was that I made Jack very straight, no nonsense, very clean. And readers might not have been consciously aware of it, but Jack never swears, not even in inner dialogue. Every swear word, swear word <laughs> uttered in any liar's book comes from Jill who is a foul-mouthed, manipulative double-talker. But even still, it might always be obvious on dialogue alone, if you cut out the context and all the other cues to the, to the story threads, who is saying what to who. The real differences, the characterizations that make these two feel completely unique, one from the next, is what shows up in inner dialogue. So. That's the second of the three that create that life support tether, right? It, I didn't, I couldn't. And, and I, unless you have a story that has very, very different characters in it, you can't rely only on dialogue, spoken dialogue, to separate one from the next. It's the other parts, too, that wrap in to support that, that give it that feel. So looping back, to, that, to the subject of distinct dialogue, what a character says and how they say it, that's a full third support of that life support tether, but it is not the be-all, end-all of characterization. Giving each character a unique, distinct voice, it's, it's a worthy goal, regardless. But it isn't an end goal in itself. You have to remember, what is it that is driving this rule? And the rule is there to help make sure that you yourself as an author are bringing that character fully to life, richly to life. But the spoken dialogue is just one third of that. What matters even more than that the spoken dialogue is unique to each character is that the character's voice is authentic to the character. That each character's voice supports and is supported by the other two threads in that life support tether, which are what the character does and what the character thinks and feels. And so if you have two characters that are very similar to each other and you twist yourself in knots to try and make sure that their dialogue is completely unique one to the other, you may even end up going the opposite direction by forcing words into the characters' mouths that are not 
authentic to the character. So the the to understand what you're doing and why will guide you so that you don't have to twist yourself into a pretzel over this. The the purpose is not that every character has to have this, you know, completely distinct way of speaking on the page. It's that how they speak has to be authentic to that character. And that is all I got on that. That was, uh, well, first, let me just start out by saying thank you, JJ, for sending in such a, a, an interesting question and one that allowed Taylor to go so deep and not just give uh, a stock answer that I think we would have heard a lot of other places. So this is a really interesting show, and it all came from that great question from JJ. So thank you for that. And Taylor, thank you for the great answer. And we are out of time. So we will be back with you again next Tuesday. Thank you all for being here. Thank you, JJ, for the question, and we will see you again next week.